Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 20. I'm titled it, Be, Be Real and Be Ready. Now, last week, in this whole series now, these last 10 chapters in Acts, 19 through 28, last week, it's the making of a testimony. I'm really excited about this because this whole, really, journey is a testimony that God is, is writing about our lives, individually and personally, each unique. So they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So God's work in our lives is a testimony as to the power of the Holy Spirit to absolutely transform our lives and use them to glorify God in heaven. And that's what he's doing. So last week, in beginning the whole thing, I asked you three questions. The making of a testimony. I asked myself three questions, and we asked ourselves three questions. Am I fervent? Am I full? And am I following? Am I fervent in my love for God? Am I, fo- am I full of the Holy Spirit? And am I following Jesus? Very simple questions to start out this whole thing of the making of a testimony. Am I fervent? Am I full? And am I following? Now, I want to follow up the second part in chapter 20 with these two things. Be real and be ready. Now, the book of Acts really is the testimony of Paul the Apostle. As you look at the book of Acts and you start finding out how many times his name is mentioned in the book of Acts, you'll find that for Paul the Apostle, or Saul actually, Saul of Tarsus before he became Paul 25 times, in in these 10 chapters, these last 10 chapters, Paul's name is found 85 times, and in the first 18 chapters, found 48 times for a grand total of 158 times. Now, Jesus is only found, either Jesus or Christ, 100 times. Peter's the next one following up with 57 times, and Peter's name is mentioned 56 times just in the first 12 chapters. So really, the whole book of Acts is about a man named Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus and became Paul the Apostle. Now, there are other names that we're going to find even today, verse 4, but most of these are only found one time, and sometimes as much as five, but that's it. So Paul the Apostle is the center focus of the book of Acts, and as the book of Acts was written by by Luke, Dr. Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, many believe, and I would agree, that these books were written actually as a defense document, a legal document that Paul was going to use in his defense in Rome when he went there. And so Luke wrote it for that purpose. It became a historical document, and it became the Word of God. Can you hear an amen? It's God's theology for us in the book of Acts. So it's his testimony that we're looking at. So this morning, in Acts chapter 20, when I say be real and be ready, I want to begin with this. There was nothing phony about Paul the Apostle's life. He was the real deal with God, and he was the real deal with people. And that's what we find about Paul the Apostle, who was Saul of Tarsus. Now, the interesting thing is that Paul loved God, and they saw that, but they also saw that Paul loved them, and they knew that. His life became one that was drenched in the love of God, and he ministered that love. But interestingly, before he became Paul Paul the Apostle as Saul of Tarsus, he hated Christians. God's the one who transformed his life there on the road on that, on that road to Damascus when Jesus met him and said, why are you persecuting me? And I think that echoed down through Paul's life continuously. He brought it up. He talked about his testimony all the time. He used to hate Christians who Jesus loved. And he realized what he had been doing in his hatred that Jesus Christ died for him because of those things. And when he came to know Christ, he became a very loving man. He was the real deal with God and he was the real deal with people. And when we are the real deal with God, we will be the real deal with people. But when we're not in the real deal with God, neither are we going to be the real deal with people. And so Paul the Apostle had nothing phony about his life. 
Notice verse 1 of chapter 20. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. So what uproar? The riot in Ephesus that we looked at in chapter 19. Paul had been in Ephesus for three years when that riot finally broke out. So he wasn't there just a short stay. He was there for three years. He departs from Ephesus for Macedonia by way of Troas. Now, I'm not going to put a map up this morning, but we will look at this again just to kind of bring us up and see it on a map. But this is what Paul's doing. He's departing Ephesus after three years to go to Macedonia, but he, he's going to go by way of Troas. Now, Titus had been, was to meet Paul in Troas. That's what the connection was to be. Uh, Paul had sent Titus to find out what's going on in the young church in Corinth. Already had done that. So Titus goes to Corinth. Paul is expecting to meet him in Troas. When Paul gets to Troas, Titus isn't there, and Paul became very concerned. He wasn't sure what had happened to his young uh, disciple. So he went then to Macedonia, where, to his great relief, he found Titus. So a little bit of the background of what's going on in Paul's heart. He's really concerned about his young, this young man named Titus. Now, when he got, gets into Macedonia, he finds Titus. He meets with him. He's totally relieved. And then he finds out from Titus, he gets this report about the Corinthian church. It's at this time that Paul now writes 2 Corinthians. So let me read, if you want to follow, you can. Let me read what Paul wrote to the Corinthians at this time. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, great. So 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12, he says, Furthermore, about this time, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. In other words, he, this door's open for Paul. He's taking every advantage. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of him, I departed for Macedonia. So that's what he's saying. I went there. He wasn't there. I had opportunity after opportunity to preach the gospel, but my concern was for my young son, my young son of faith, for Titus. I need to find him. That's his heart. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5. Again, for indeed, when I came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you, Corinthians, when he told of our earnest desire, your mourning. Now, Paul says, you've repented. That was, he wrote a letter Difficult to receive, but they repented, so they're mourning. They, they had godly sorrow, Paul said, and godly sorrow is no regret to that. They came to understand there were things they needed to repent of, the Corinthian church. They received from Paul the letter, and they were mourning over that. That's Paul saying, that's great. It's good. You're mourning. Um, you're, when, he, when, when he told you, you're mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So not only did Paul love them, they loved Paul. They loved him. Paul loved them, and they loved him. Paul was a man who was loved because he was the real deal. So Paul then sends Titus back to Corinth with another brother, making sure he was okay, traveling companion. And when he sent him back, it was to oversee the Corinthian church bringing an offering that he would then bring to Jerusalem. That's a lot of, a lot of what was happening in Paul's missionary journeys. So now verse 2. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed there three months. 
And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So sometime also during this part of his journeys, he writes the book of Romans also, just if you want to get a little time capsule on that. So as Paul is making traveling arrangements to go to Jerusalem, he becomes privy to some kind of plot to kill him when he gets on the boat headed for Jerusalem through Syria. So instead, he decides he's going to go by land. Now, that's just smart. <laughs> They're going to get you on the boat. You can't go anywhere unless you jump overboard. So they have this plot, and he finds out. And God is always, he's always one step ahead of anybody that's against us. Can you hear an amen? He is one step ahead of us all the time. And we need to take heart in that. Nothing's going to happen, but God knows exactly what the next thing is going to, that's coming up. And that is a, a tremendous comfort for all of us as believers. God is not sort of, you know, he's glancing somewhere else and misses something. He sees it all. He knows it all. And in this case, with Paul, as at other times, God was going ahead of him to preserve him. We're indestructible until God's done with us. It's tremendous comfort, is it not? And so he, just, he wisely decides to go by land. So first idea here is be loved. Paul loved them and was loved by them. That was the story of Paul's testimony. He genuinely cared about them and they knew it. So he encouraged them, it tells us. He embraced them. Paul loved them and Paul was a leader of leaders. That's what we find in this testimony. He was a leader of leaders. And we'll get to that in beginning in verse 17. So what did Paul do? He embraced them, verse 1. That means to throw your arms around them. Simple thing, but he cared about them. He encouraged them with many words. In other words, he was an ongoing encourager. And how great is that? When someone who loves us encourages us. And we know they care about us. He was the encourager, as Barnabas was the son of encouragement. Paul did the same thing with many words. We always need more encouragement. All of us. You get the down times. You need someone who you know cares about you to encourage you in the Lord, and to continue to encourage you. And Paul was that kind of guy. He embraced them, he encouraged them, but here's the thing that I love most. He earned their trust. Paul earned their trust. It didn't happen overnight. In fact, when he first got saved, people go, I don't trust that guy as far as I can throw him. But he earned their trust. And in so doing, number one, they followed him. Amazing, they followed him. Look at verse four. Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, Aristarchus and Segundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. So all this, this, this growing traveling band with Paul, they're all following him and going where he's going and wanting to be with him. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. Now notice, waited for us. It's become now that third person where, where uh, Luke now is joining again with this missionary band. Now, in the second missionary journey, Paul had left him at Philippi. Now he's coming back through again, and Dr. Luke now is joining them and will continue now on the journey. So the pronoun changes from they to us. So he waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So very chronicled as far as how many days. This is just giving you the itinerary that's going on here. So they all meet up in Troas. Paul had hoped to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. That was his goal. He wanted to do that. 
But God had other plans. He wasn't able to do that. So now his, his goal is, I want to get to there for the Feast of Pentecost. So his first plan was to go to be in Jerusalem for Passover. That didn't work. So he, he stayed and had Passover there in Philippi. But now he's saying, okay, I got 50 days for now. I'm going to get to Jerusalem. So he's on task again to get them there. And all of these men are following him, going with him. Now, they also listen to him. And something that just comes with being real. They listened to him. Notice in verse 7, this is a great story. Now, as the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, when the disciples came together to break bread, that would be the Lord's Supper or a potluck or both, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. He's got a little time. He wants to talk. He wants to speak to them. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together, and in a window sat a certain man named Eutychus, who, gathered, who was, was sinking into a deep sleep. This is very encouraging for me as a teacher. Even Paul the Apostle put him to sleep. <laughs> and this guy's sinking. Imagine him on the windowsill. He's, he's sliding down. You know how it is in the chair when you're sort of, or, oh, <laughs> well, this guy's sliding down. Lots of lamps, taking away the oxygen probably. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, that doesn't sound very, you know, you know, whenever you're teaching, you want to limit the distractions. This is not, this is a distraction you can't avoid. But Paul went down, fell on him, and there he is embracing him again for a whole different reason. And said, do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked again a long while, even until daybreak. So Paul called an all-nighter for this Bible study. He departed. So Paul had limited time with them and he wanted to speak and they wanted to hear him, wanted to listen to him. That's what happens when we're the real deal with God. We're, we're just who we are, but we're the real deal. And, and Paul was the real deal. They listened to him. Number, and then here's another thing. They submitted to him. Look at verse 13. Then when, when we went ahead to the ship to sail to Asos, they're intending to take Paul on board for he had given orders. So Paul is now in charge, if you will, and they're readily willing to submit to it and do what he's asking, intending himself to go on foot. So Paul, wanting to stay as long as possible, sends them on the long route with the sh with, in the ship. He goes direct route across land to meet them there so he can stay just a little while longer with them. And when he, met, when, when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, he arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided, so Paul again making the decisions, to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, excuse me, on the day of Pentecost. So Paul loved them and was loved by them. They followed him, listened to him. They submitted to him. He is now, as they're following him, they're following Christ as he is following him and they're part of his entourage. Paul was also a leader of leaders. And this is one of the most fantastic parts of scripture for me as a pastor called in the church to be an overseer. What Paul says now, pouring out his heart to these elders is an awesome place, but not just for those who are called, but for all of us. And I'll tell you why in a moment. He was a leader of leaders. So from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. A 30-mile walk, they come to meet him. 
Now, the first thing I see him saying to them is, my life was consistent. You saw it. That's so important in our ministries, you know, that we are being more consistent in how we live. So he says there, when they had come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. Paul was the real deal with God. He was the real deal with people. They saw him. It was consistent. He wasn't someone behind the curtains that was different than the one who came out on the stage. He was the same. He was consistent. Number two, he was humble. Serving the Lord with all humility. Now, literally, it's with all humility of mind. Paul was not high-minded, though he was before he came to meet Christ. He was a humble servant, and that is key to what God does in our lives as he transforms us into the image of Christ. That just like Jesus gave himself for us, he came as a bond servant. He walked in this world not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom. Paul was coming more and more into that whole character transformation of a humble servant who had so much he could be proud of and boast about. He said, I'm not going to boast in anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He walked humbly with his God. The third thing I see here is he was vulnerable. He was vulnerable. Notice in verse 19, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. You read Paul's letters to the Corinthians. He pours out his guts. And so, such a, he became such a vulnerable human being to others. He would say, this is what's happening to me. Inside were fears. Outside I was distressed. And he's just opening up his whole life. And there's nothing like vulnerability to, be, to bring this, this love to bear. Not only outwardly, but inwardly. In our vulnerability before people. He was a vulnerable man. He said, I cried with you. And crying is so vulnerable when, when it comes and happens. I wept over some of these things. We're going to see at the end as he talks about, as he looks at what's going on with these, these uh, false teachers, these wolves. coming. He would weep. He said, I go, I, I'm going through all these things. And he named them to the Corinthians. He says, and not only that, but also the care I have for the church. Paul loved the church. He wept for the church. He worked for the church. He labored for the church. And he would die for the church. He said, I could wish myself a curse for my fellow, the Jews. He wanted to die even for those who didn't know him and hated him. Boy, that is something of vulnerability that God brings. But in that vulnerability, there's like this power that God then infuses into it that says, you're just like everyone else, and everyone else that knows me understands exactly how we treasure our relationship with God. He is our shield. He is our fortress. He's mighty to save. Awesome to be vulnerable and realize, hey, I just need Jesus in my life. I got to run into that high tower where I know I'll be safe. I'm going to hide myself under the shadow of his wings. He's the one who gives me this freedom and vulnerability that becomes such a strength to live a life that's going to impact others for all eternity. Verse 20, he was helpful, not hurtful. And how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house. Paul said, I just want to help. I just want to be a helper. Just like the Holy Spirit is called the helper, I want to be a helper. And that is so, he was a leader of leaders. And this is what the dynamic of character that a leader has, a leader of leaders. It impacts even maybe those way, way greater places in the earth's positions than me. And yet these kinds of things are impactful. 
He was, his manner of life was consistent. He was humble. He was vulnerable. He was helpful. And then his message was consistent. Not only his manner of life, his message was consistent. What was his message? The gospel. He said, that's my message. I'm going to stay on message all the time. Notice verse 21. Testifying to the Jews and to the, also to the Greeks, everyone. What? Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to repent of your sin before God and put your faith in Jesus Christ who died for all your sin and died that you might be forgiven and know him personally. At the end of our message today, I'm going to give you an opportunity if you don't know, haven't said yes to Jesus yet, to repent toward God because it's God who you've sinned against and your sins have separated you from God. And you can't do anything about that except to repent. Acknowledge them and repent and turn from them. Realize, yes, this is sin against God, a holy, righteous, perfect God who created you to know him, but your sin has separated you from him. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to, to first of all, raise up your hand and say, I wanna get right with God today. How do you do that? Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith towards him. No one else can save you. You put your faith in any other thing, it can't save you, but Jesus came to die and to save you. So as you put your faith towards Christ, and I hope we'll, maybe if that's you today, you'll do that today right here. So raise up your hand. We ask you to stand up, make your public confession before men. That, re, that removes all the doubts, all the fears, all the excuses, because now you've stood and you're gonna say, I'm gonna obey God. I'm gonna obey the gospel. And as you do that, you will see God set you free. I'm gonna ask you to walk up to the table after that, and there someone will be there to pray with you and lead you to Christ. And know him today as your savior. And if that happens, we're going to give it up for you. Because that's what the angels in heaven do. They applaud that. So I hope that you'll think of that seriously. It's an important decision, the most important decision you'll ever make. That you can say yes to Jesus and get right with God today, right here. This can be your moment, as it was for Saul of Tarsus. He wasn't even ready for it, but God saved him. And God wants to do the same for you. So we're praying as believers that that might happen for you today. So be real. To, to these leaders, he's saying two things. Take heed of yourselves and to your ministry. Be ready. Be ready. Be real and be ready. So I don't know, Paul's saying, I don't know what will happen to me. It doesn't sound very pleasant. Look at verse 22. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. So Paul's saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me. It doesn't sound very pleasant. Here's what's going to, he's been told in, in prophetic words as he's going. But, he's always saying, I do know what is most important to me. Verse 24, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, be ready. You see, there's a race that will, be over, that will soon be over. That's what he's saying. There's a race that I'm running that will soon be over. That's what's most important to me. And there's a ministry that I've received that's like no other. There's a race that will soon be over. There's a ministry that is like no other. That's what Paul's saying. That is why I'm going on. It doesn't matter what's going to happen to me. I don't know what's going to happen, but let me tell you this. There's a race that will be soon be over, and there's a ministry that is like no other. And that is true for each and every one of us, individually and uniquely. We are in a race that will soon be over. 
We have a ministry that's like no other. Your ministry, whatever that might be, for Paul it was apostleship and these things, but we all have been given a unique ministry. It is founded in the, in the Great Commission, but we've all been given a ministry that's like no other. You see, I can't minister in your spheres of influence like only you can. I'm not called to do that, but each one of us has been given by God a race we're running and a ministry that's like no other. And so he's saying, here's what's most important to me, and it needs to be most important to us, to be ready, because there's a race that will soon be over. There's a ministry that's like no other. Are we ready? Are we readying ourselves every day to run that race and fulfill that ministry? They go hand in hand. None of these things move me. What's the key? Nor do I count my life dear to myself that I may run that race and finish that ministry. That's the deal. That's how Paul could, I don't know what's coming up, but that's not going to stop me. Here's my focus. Whatever happens to me, I will do whatever is necessary to finish my race with joy, to do it. That's what Paul's whole emphasis was. And now he says, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. So he's saying, look, I know also what's most important for you. Same thing. You may not see me again. That's sad, but most important to me is, what about your race? And what about your ministry? Are you ready? And Paul's saying, yes, it'll be sad. I won't see you again. But I want to see you at the finish line is basically what he's saying. I want to see you when your race is done and we're there. I want to see you at the finish line. I want to see you've made it. You've given everything you have to pull up and pull on and race on in that ministry God's given to you. I want to see you there at the finish line. And that's a broken heart and a heart that's prayerful and for every one of those people that he loved. And these particular elders, he loved them. He said, I want to see you at the finish line. Let's meet at the finish line. We may not see each other now, but let's meet at the finish line. In Corinthians, to the Corinthians, he wrote this in chapter 9, in verse, beginning of verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in the race all run, but one receives the prize? That's our prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul said, I'm going to run this race with everything I have. I'm going to run it according to the rules. I'm going to fight like a soldier, as he told Timothy. I'm gonna, I, I have a duty to my commander, so I'm going to do it with perseverance. I'm going to run according to the rules. I'm going to discipline my body. I'm going to do whatever it takes to run that race and finish the race with joy. And that's the mindset that we need to have. We're in a race. We're doing it for something that God has for us. And we want to run in such a way. We're not beating the air. We're not swiping at flies. We are in a real race that has spiritual and eternal consequences. And for us, that's running that race with joy and finishing the ministry that God's given to us. In Hebrews chapter 12, I think I quoted this last week also, because Paul coming out of Hebrews 11, that great hall of faith that he holds up, and you read all those different names in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, some had these fantastic things happening, some had horrible things happening to them. 
but they all walked by faith. They all ran their race knowing that what God had promised them was coming, knowing there is a finish line, knowing that something's going to happen for each one of them. And they didn't know what that was, but they kept, some were sawn in two. I mean, there was just horrible things, but others were raising the dead. And these things are God's, up to God's as far as our ministry and what he's going to do. But they're running and they're running and they're running and saying, I'm going to finish that race by putting my faith in God and trust him no matter what's coming up. And so Hebrews chapter 12, he comes into that. He says, therefore, we also, you see, we're not different than them. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's writing the testimony. Let us look unto Jesus. He's the finished line. He's the one that's getting us. Let us look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. You see, Jesus had a finished line too. The joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising its shame, and he finally is at the right hand of God. So let us, he says there, he's at the right hand of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. We look to Jesus. What he went through for us is all the motivation. We get in the locker room. It's the coach. And all that he went through, that's what he's saying here. Consider him endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And that's so easy to do if we get our mind and, you know, looking or we're, we're sitting in the stands or whatever, saying, get down there, know this, Jesus ran it before you, he run it all, you're following his footsteps, he's the encourager, he's the coach, he's the embracer, he's the one who's going to take us along this path in this ministry to finish and find us at the finish line. And we, we, we hear him say, you won, here's the prize, it's yours. You have not yet resisted bloodshed striving against sin, is what he said. And you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chase of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves. He chastens and scourges every son whom he says. It's not pleasant sometimes. But God said, I want to get you healed up and back on the track. So sometimes you've got to make Straight paths for your feet, lest what is lame be dislocated. He's saying, you got, you got a weakness, something's going on. Well, let's work on that. Let's not go keep running in the same rubble. Let's get you on a flat path where you can get that thing healed. And God does that. He brings us these times where we're, we're sort of get in a healing phase. How many, how many are in a healing phase? I mean, for my ear right now, I'm talking spiritually. There's times when God, hey, you know what? Let's, let's get you on a nice, smooth, simple place. Let's just do some ministry of healing right now because you need it. We want to get you back on the track, out of the stands, off the bench, and back running. That's what God wants to do. And sometimes, because he loves us so much, he disciplines us. And that's not going to work. We got to get that straightened out. Therefore, verse 26, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole gospel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. He's saying in a sense, I've done all God called me to do for you. Now it's up to you and with God. He, I've done all I can. I cannot run your race. I cannot... Take heed to your ministry. And he's talking to leaders, these elders. Therefore, take heed to yourself. Take heed to your ministry, you elders. I believe the Holy Spirit would say to us this morning, take heed to yourself and take heed to your ministry. You see, there's a race that we're all running. There's a ministry we've all been given from the Lord. 
Be real and be ready. Be the real deal with God and continue to be ready for the next run with him. Now, this word overseers, there's three words that are used, basically three words in the Greek to speak about these same positions, offices, and they're interchangeable. The elders would speak about the man or his maturity. You have the word overseer, which would speak of the motivation or the responsibility in what you're doing. And then you have the word pastors or shepherds, which describes the actual ministry. The priority that you have is to take care of God's people to these leaders. First Peter has all three of these words used. First Peter chapter five, let me read it and may the Holy Spirit minister some things to us. First Peter five verse one, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder, Peter, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, um, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dis- dishonest gain, but eagerly. You're not in for money. You're not in for self-promotion. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of life that does not fade away. You see, there's waiting for us, each one of us, at that finish line. Tremendous rewards of God's doing. It's, you know, I think it's a fantastic deal. God does everything in us and through us, and then he rewards us for what he did. That's what God does, and at that judgment seat. For I know, verse 29, this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. They're going to do everything they can. They're savagely going to come. Therefore, he said, remember that for three years I did not cease to warn every one of you night and day with tears. Ready, ready. He's saying, be be careful. This is what's going to happen. Paul was continually fighting these lying, perverse, self-centered, power-hungry, and greedy enemies of the cross. And that's what they were. They were and continually roaming around and seeking to pick off the sheep. Now, if you're wondering what a, what a wolf does, I'll tell you what a wolf does. A wolf eats sheep. So if you see what is supposedly a sheep eating wolves, uh, eating other sheep, he's not a sheep, he's a wolf. And Jesus said, be careful. They come as, sheep, as wolves in sheep's clothing. Beware of them. Take care of them. And Paul was very aware all the time that these false teachers would come in and want to destroy or undo what God had already done. He wanted, they want to undermine the work of God in people's lives. They're always there lurking in the, out, in the shadows. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among those who are sanctified. The third thought here is God and his grace will be all sufficient. Be ready. There's a race that will soon be over. There's a ministry that is like no other, and God and his grace will be all sufficient. Paul cast them onto the grace of God. And that really is where we must end our study today. Cast on the grace of God. That his grace is sufficient for all these things that he's called us to do. Notice he says, so now brother, I commend you the word of his grace. Verse 33, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Paul was not in it for money. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, Paul didn't live for himself. Paul was no debtor to anyone except God. And Paul knew that as he poured out his life for God, 
God would be pouring out through his life to many, many others, and the end of that race would be so rewarding. Now, I have tried to disprove this whole idea. It's more blessed to give than to receive many times. How about you? I keep doing no. I, I, I need to get here a little bit. But every time that I give, I find out Jesus is right. If I give of my life, it's more blessed. And the more that I give, the more that God pours in. And I believe God's looking in our lives to be able to pour out into them that he might pour out through them of his grace to other people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We humble ourselves before this chapter, really. And this man, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle. And you turned him inside out, upside down, and then right side up again at that road. You took a man that hated, was violent, a murderer, and you met him, Lord. And he became a man with a testimony. And Lord, you did the same for us to some degree. And we're thankful for that this morning. And Lord, we want to run our race because we know it'll soon be over. We want to take heed to our ministry to fulfill it because there is no other. It's only ours. We thank you again, Lord, for your grace. As Paul commended them to the grace of God, so Lord, we receive this morning your word. And as believers in the room, we're praying. I want to give anyone an opportunity this morning who has not yet met Jesus personally. You've not yet said yes to Jesus as far as your sin. So as we bow our heads and our hearts and we're praying, if that's you this morning, and we've talked about it already, the three things I, I ask, I'll ask you to do is just simple things. Number one, raise up your hand and say, I want to get right with God. I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. I know I'm not right with God. I know my sin is separating me from him. I want to know him. I want to be right with him. I know it's been there. It's been nagging. Maybe it's been a battle, and we all understand that it's a battle. But may the Holy Spirit help you this morning to be obedient to the gospel, which Jesus said, if you confess me before men. So number one, raise up your hand. Secondly, just stand up and just say, I today am making my confession. I'm saying I want to get right with God. So you're going to stand up, and I'm going to ask you to walk up to the table. One on either side, one of those. Be someone there to pray for you. So if that's you, as we're praying, the most important decision you'll ever make is to say yes to Jesus Christ. Yes to his forgiveness. Yes to him saving you from your sin. Yes to him dying for your sin. Casting all that upon God and his, his, his uh, providing that for your salvation and then receiving him as your Lord and Savior. If that's you, as we're praying, just slip up your hand. We're going to wait a minute or so. Say, today I want to make that confession. I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Today, today's your day. Say, I want to say yes to Jesus. We're waiting. We're praying, brothers and sisters. We're praying. This is an eternal transaction taking place. We love you, Lord. Move right now. Anyone else? We're waiting. Another minute. God bless you. You stood now. I ask you to make your way to the table. If you don't mind, we're going to give it up for you as the Lord is, is causing. We're going to sing a final song as we do, and just at some point you stand with all of us. But I also want to encourage you, if you need prayer, that's what we're over there for, is to pray. So if you need prayer this morning for maybe it's a person, a situation, something, as we begin, I begin a little bit, prayer is so essential. I believe it's a deciding factor many times. 
just go and say, hey, this is the need. And maybe it's going to require a little vulnerability on your part, but you know it's beyond you. Just make your way to the table either while we're doing the song or after and get somebody that will pray for you, not only today, but they're committed to praying for that prayer all week long. Okay, So let's join together in this last song of worship and I'll close this together.